0: it's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the Add Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review of our show. Subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, help us spread the word about the great stories being shared on our show. Today's guest is Dr. Barb Hewson. Dr. Barb has been a dancer, a therapist, an educator, a mediator, and a leadership coach all woven together for the past three decades. Bottom line, she has worked with people for a long time and understand what lies deep within people to help them make changes. Dr. Barb Hewson and Robert talk about dance and the power of movement in changing the brain. Dr. Barb has a secret acronym she uses with dance to help people understand the need for personal growth and development. We also share a little bit in common about mediating and marriage. Well, Dr. Barb, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I appreciate you. I uh, just know we're going to have a fantastic conversation and learn so much, but also share so much with our audience.
1: That's great. Thank you. I feel so honored to be here. You've had some amazing people on your show, so I'm thrilled to be here today. Thank you.
0: Nice. Obviously, I, I you know, we're serving entrepreneurs and, and we love the entrepreneurial journey. Would you share your own personal journey and, and how you got to what you're doing now.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's so fun. So it, it actually, I started thinking about it yesterday and more this morning. I started my first business about 30 years ago. So I know a little bit about entrepreneurship. <laughs> um, I actually started, um, when I went to college, I knew I wanted to do something with psychology and with dance. And so I actually double majored as an undergrad in psychobiology, which is basically neuroscience and dance. And I was a dancer my whole life. And so I wanted to be able to somehow combine the two. And when you graduate with an undergrad in psychology, there's, you just, there's not a whole lot you can do. <laughs> there's just not, you know, you work at different organizations. And so I, I did that. I went out and I thought, I'm just going to get as much experience because all this stuff I learned in a textbook, I want to see how it plays out. So I worked at residential treatment facilities with kids. I worked in psychiatric hospitals. You know, I worked as a school counselor in a private school. I did all these different things to gain experience. And then one day I thought, you know, I want to go back to grad school. One of the things I learned in undergrad, which was actually really an awesome tip, was I worked as a career counselor on campus. And my supervisor at the time, a PhD in psychology, said you should never pay for graduate school. And I said, really? So I have three graduate degrees. I have two masters and a doctorate and I paid for none of them. <laughs> they were all free. And how I did that was the first one was I worked at a, at the hospital and they paid for tuition. It was a teaching hospital and they paid for tuition at the university. So I got that first degree um, for free. The second one, I got a graduate assistantship. So I was paid to teach and they paid for all my schooling. And then the third one, similarly, I worked for a company and they paid for tuition. So I thought, well, why would I not get another degree? Why not? So I learned that, which was a good tip. And I tell people that all the time, there's so many ways to get graduate school for free. You should never pay for it. So I I,
0: I think my why not list would have been longer than yours.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I, I love learning and I've been actually teaching online for 22 years. So I love teaching, I love learning, and so that's just been part of who I am. I, but, yeah.
0: I, I, do have a grad, I do have a graduate degree, but it's never even come out of the envelope, so I'm not even sure. What.
1: Oh, there <laughs> <laughs> well, I did a lot of research, wrote a lot of papers, you know, uh, dissertation and all these other things. So mine, was, mine were all a lot, a lot of work just because they were free. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't like, here's your degree. It was a lot of work. But Wait, that's I, an
0: option, too. How do we get that option?
1: I know, right? <laughs> I don't know. But I feel good about what I did because I know I worked really hard for those. But I, after I got my master's, um, my first master's, I realized that I wanted to do private practice. And so that's what I ended up doing after I did all this experience working with kids and families and couples. And again, I tried everything just to see what I liked. Lo- always loved kids and families. So I I launched into a private practice, and I grew up in New York State, and I thought, you know, I don't think anybody's making house calls. And so I've always been one of those people, I kind of look for the gaps. What are the things that are missing? And I think as an entrepreneur, that's a really important thing is you've got to be innovative, and you've got to look for what's not there, what could be improved upon, what's missing. And so I started making house calls. I never once had an office to see clients. It just wasn't my style. So um, I did a lot of uh, creative arts therapies. And so that's how I combined my, my counseling with dance movement. One of my jobs at the hospital was actually doing all sorts of creative arts therapy. So I integrated art therapy, music therapy. I'm also a musician, dance movement therapy, all these different things. So I had a giant bag of art supplies and books and scarves and oh my gosh, you name it, a little boom box. At the time, it was a little boom box that I carried around. Um, And so I just traveled to places and I had a couple contracts with some organizations um, working with foster kids. So I worked with severely abused and neglected kids and their families. And so they provided space for me. So that worked out working with those agencies. But going into people's homes was incredible because I got to see what was going on in the home environment, which tells a whole different story. Um, so that was, you know, one of my first ventures into being an entrepreneur was just, you know, traveling, doing house calls and, uh, And at that time in the area where I lived, I didn't know anybody else that was doing that. I think a lot of people thought I was nuts. Like, why would you do that? Like, why don't you just work out of an office? That's what everybody does. I'm like, well, I don't want to be like everybody else. I want to do my own thing. (laughs) Um, There's,
0: There's a lot of power in, in doing something different than everyone else.
1: Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I just, I found for me, it just, it fed my soul. Like it really. I wasn't someone that sits in the office all day long. I just wasn't who I was. And, you know, I always think of this little girl that I met. She was a fifth grader at the time. And she was a student in the private school that I worked at. And she was always just a mess. Like her hair was disheveled. She was just one of these kids that was just, she was just a mess. And and her mom would come in and pick her up. The parents were divorced. Mom would come in and pick her up. And I just thought wow, like the mom was so put together, very intelligent woman. Why is this child such a mess? I could not figure it out. Well, then the mom decided to hire me to work with this girl outside of school. So I said, great, I'll come over to your house. Well, I walk in the front door and it's like a hoarder house. Oh. It total chaos. The inside of the house was total chaos, which was exactly what I was seeing in this little girl. So the pieces fell into place. Now, I never would have known that had I not gone over to the house to actually see where this little girl lives. So it was just to me, it was really interesting because I thought I'm just collecting a lot more data than I would if someone came to me in an office, they were more comfortable at home and, you know, they'd rather sit on their own couch and, you know, not have to go someplace that was unknown to them. So, so that was the, kind of the start of my entrepreneurial journey. So I did that for 20 plus years. And, um, just love again, loved every minute of it. So my background is as a mental health therapist.
0: And then now what are you doing?
1: So, yeah. So then through the years I shifted, I've done a lot of different things. Um, along the way I got into doing work for the court system. So I live in Colorado and, uh, I do a lot of work for the Colorado judicial district and so i started i connected with a friend who was doing mediation work for the court and this was almost 20 years ago now too and so she said you know you should do mediation work because your therapy background is a huge positive understanding mental health issues behavioral issues all that kind of stuff with people so i started i got trained as a mediator and i shadowed her for a couple years actually for a long time and then i got a position working as the court mediator. And um, from there, I I launched into my private practice doing mediation as well. So I do family law mediation, that's something I'm still very active and engaged in. And that's kind of another interesting thing, because conflict is everywhere. People hate conflict, people run away from conflict, but that's life, right? We're always going to run into something that's challenging. People are gonna say things we don't like, people are gonna do things we don't like, and either we run away from it or we deal with it. And sadly, a lot of the cases that I have are, I kind of call them the nuclear cases. They're parents that are so angry and resentful at one another, like it's off the scale of anger. And um, a lot of the referrals I get are from attorneys who literally will call and say, we don't know what to do with these people, they're all yours. (laughs) <laughs> and so I say, great. And for me, that my mediation work is about, I always say I'm saving children, because that's really what it's I've seen and worked with these kids in the past, you know, kids that have gone through divorce, and I've seen the damage that can happen from this anger and animosity from parents. And so I try to teach them about forgiveness and letting go. And these are two things that are really hard for people when they're really stuck in conflict. They have a hard time doing those things. Some people can get there and some are just locked. And sadly, you know, it takes its toll. And I tell people what you're doing right now is setting the stage for how they turn into adults. You know, do you want happy, healthy kids that turn into happy, healthy adults? Then you need to change your behavior and your the words you're using, how you act towards the other parent, you've got to change that now. So that's a big part of what I do right now, too, is family law mediation. And then I started working with leaders a long time ago. Parenting is leadership. Um, <laughs> and as we know, um, leadership is everywhere. You know, leadership is parents, leadership is a CEO at a company, leadership is someone running a Boy Scout troop, or someone running um, groups at your church, or um, someone that's managing a small team in a company. So leadership is everywhere and the thing that I love is really helping leaders look at what's going on inside of them. And again, I always pull in my mental health background and my therapy work because there's a lot to leadership and my philosophy is really looking at what's what's happening for you. You've got to look inside first to understand who you are to be a better leader externally. We think of leadership as Saying here's what you do and get this done, and here's the deadlines. It's all this external thing. but leadership has to start inside. So we'll uh, do a lot clearly, of
0: that. yeah, clearly the best leaders are are self leaders first.
1: Oh. But that's the hard stuff, right?
0: Absolutely, but it's the hard work everybody has to do or or ignore.
1: Or ignore, yes, yeah. And so I my model that I use I created called the leadership dance. And so dance is actually an acronym. And the way I look at it is, you know, leadership is kind of a lonely job, right? You're just the top of the ladder if you're if you're running a business. And so I think of, you know, I mean, I spent decades on a stage. I loved being on the stage performing. And when you're a soloist, all eyes are on you, right? It's all up to you. You're, if you fall, you're the only one that people see, right? Cause you're up there falling, <laughs> you're the soloist. So there's a lot of pressure when you're, and I've been a soloist on a stage, even playing an instrument and dancing, and it's your heart's beating like crazy and it's very nerve wracking. All eyes are on you. You have to know what you're doing. Sometimes leadership is a partnership. Like I have client leadership clients where they have two other partners in the business. There's three leaders. And so they've got to work together. I've also um, do work with teams and so sometimes you're just in the in ballet, we call it the corps de ballet. You're in like the whole group, like Swan Lake or something. You're one of 20 swans up on the stage. And so you still have to work together, right? You have to communicate. You have to be in unison. You know, everybody's got to go the same direction at the same time if that's what you have to do. All of your arms have to look the same. You know, so there's a lot of synchronicity and flow that has to happen when you're working with teams. So my leadership dance model is an acronym. D is development of self and others. A is taking action. C is that communication piece. N is networking and community because you can't do it alone. You need a community. You need your network of people. And then E is the whole empathy and emotional intelligence. And again, that ties so nicely with my mental health background piece understanding your emotions in yourself, understanding those in others. And the the great thing about all of this is so many leadership things can be learned and you can get better. I always say leadership, it's an art and it's a practice. You have to practice being a leader.
0: Somehow I got them out of order. I spelled dance wrong.
1: D A N Yeah. Dance. Yeah. Uh,
0: it's that's fantastic. Um, couple things you mentioned in there even back to to working with parents in in the mediation process and I think one of the things that I find working with entrepreneurs is a, a severe misunderstanding of forgiveness. Um, there's this cultural idea that forgiveness means that I'm letting go or I'm giving them a pass on all this terrible stuff they've done versus focusing on the power of forgiveness for myself. No. Yep. and so helping helping people understand what unforgiveness does to you individually no matter what it does i mean obviously i think in a divorce mediation their relationship's broken yes. the state knows it they know it their yes. lawyers know it and it's obvious the minute they walk in the room yes there's no there's no one in this room that's trying to put you back together at this point
1: that's right yeah but helping
0: them understand that forgiveness is a you and you deal. Can you dig into that a little bit?
1: Yeah. And I, you know, it's so hard. I think, you know, and and the folks that I, a lot of them that I work with, the anger and the resentment just overshadows all of that. And so I try to bring people back to center, right? I try to bring people back to the place of, you got to look inside first. It's the whole oxygen mask. I always use that analogy. I'm sure a lot of people talk about that, but it's so true. I've used that analogy for years. You know, put your oxygen mask on first, because if you pass out, you can help nobody. You can't even help yourself. So I really try to get people to focus on that. And even, you know, it's interesting. It's tends to be a lot of my moms that I work with because they're so used to doing for everybody else, right? Taking care of the kids and running the kids here and there and you know, you tend to do a lot more. Again, that's kind of generalizing, but, you know, we tend to see that. And so a lot of times people, women don't, (laughs) they're not the best at taking care of themselves. You know, I talked to a mom on the phone the other day and I said, what are you doing for your self-care? And she said, she sat there and she looked around and she said, nothing, (laughs) I'm not doing anything. (laughs) You know, I'm running kids here and there and I'm working and, making dinner and doing the laundry and all these other things and so to get people to really look at themselves that and and the forgiveness piece that all ties in together right it's you know we can dwell on things that we've done or said but we can't change it nobody can we can't go backwards we can learn and not do those things moving forward but we can't change those things and so being okay with, you know, oops, I shouldn't have said that. Or, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Um, You know, it's just such an important thing. It's, you know, that whole world of regret. Like, are you going to live in the world of regret? Because that may not serve you either. You know, like, oh, I should have done this. I should have said that. But you didn't. Okay, let's go and move forward. And that's mediation is about now and forward. So I try to shift people into that. And we talk about the forgiveness piece a lot. And if they can forgive themselves for, you know, guilt, oh, my gosh, I should have, if I had only done this, you know, how many times we say that to ourselves. if I had only done this, then this wouldn't have happened. Um, But that doesn't really, you know, nothing changes if we don't actually make a change. And that includes with our thinking.
0: Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned that the other important piece is, is the focus on the future, right? Yes we've made this decision. You're going to be separated. We're going to be living separate lives. So all of these things that you're digging up every single time we have these conversations, every single time you think about your spouse, all you're doing is digging up the, the shouldas, couldas and wouldas and, and using them to create this anger and resentment and fuel it, fuel, fuel this emotional fire. That's driving you to want justice and revenge.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes, yes and sadly you know I always tell people the, the the court system is very black and white I've been working in the court system for a couple decades now so it's paperwork it's process it's a court order follow the order pick the kid up at this time pay the child support into this amount very black and white life is gray
0: like, and and the court and the court agrees you shouldn't be married the court doesn't care about the drama the court doesn't want anything to do with the drama. In fact, the court has taken the drama out of the courtroom by creating these these guidelines based on on income and time. And that's right. And and so but there's something inside each of us that thinks, well, if I go in there with this pile of stuff, the court will give me something different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, I mean, I get a lot of times people will call and say, do I need an attorney? And I say, I don't tell you one way or another. I mean, that's definitely your choice. Sometimes attorneys can be helpful, um, but you have to make that choice for yourself. Again, I'm not going to tell people like, Oh my gosh, yes, you totally need to hire an attorney. But once people get an attorney, it creates a divide anyway. And I always call it, you know, then you're in battle mode because I literally, I, when I mediate, I don't have attorneys present. And the, the attorneys that refer to me know that because I'm like, you don't have to come because I don't want you there. <laughs> and the reason is these people have to figure this out. When the ink is dry, I don't go home with them. You don't go home with them. And neither does the judge. So we have to set them up for success. And so my goal is to work with them and get some communication going. And sometimes, you know, mediation co- it's an interesting field because people are like, well, we're looking for agreements or we're looking for resolution. Well, what is a resolution? I mean, life is a constant flow. Like we're not, you know, things ends. Yes, but then new things pop up. So I don't even, I look at conflict transformation. We're looking at conflict differently. And the goal is let's get some communication patterns in place that are a little healthier than what you guys have been doing. And so even if I have parties that don't necessarily make all the agreements that they want to, or they only make a few or sometimes none, they'll still say, oh my gosh, this is the first time we've actually talked together since all of this started. I mean, literally they have not talked at all. Why? Because they got attorneys.
0: Right. <laughs> I, I tell, so I, I came to it from the pastoral side as a yeah. pastoral counselor and have gone on and also am certified in mediation. So I understand the world you're, yeah. you're, you're working in. And, and, and the crazy, the, the crazier. I tell you, Yes. If you want an attorney, get an attorney. But the minute you hire an attorney, you are going to war. Yes. And your spouse becomes your enemy. Yep. And the attorney is going to build this great big giant wall between you. And he's going to use every weapon, every potential tool, everything possible to pull as much of your joint property across onto your side of the wall. And guess what? Your spouse is going to hire an attorney and their attorney is going to do the same exact thing. And it becomes a battlefield that nobody wins except for those two attorneys, to be yes. honest. I think it it creates this this the system is designed, right? Because the lawyer's job, once he signs that agreement and you've paid a retainer, the, the lawyer's job is to protect their client, period.
1: That's right. That's right. They don't
0: care about the kids. They don't care about the family. They, I mean, they can say all those things, and they but their job by law is to protect the client and get the client as much as possible and the kids awesome. are just pawns at this point on the on the board to pull across onto your side as much as possible yeah and and the sad thing in all of that is like you mentioned communication stops yeah the list the list making of all the stuff starts the desires start of oh i should get this and i should get this and i should get this and i should have this and and, and so you got one list of all the terrible things that have happened throughout your marriage. And then you got the one list of all the things that you want to get. And yet bring that all to the table <laughs> and That's nobody's important. thinking about, wait, what's it going to be like for the next 10 years of meeting each other and having to exchange the kids?
1: Exactly. How
0: are the kids going to grow up feeling about their dad or their mom when, when this is how we talk about each other? And it's okay. I get that the partners hate each other at this point, right? We've gone from a relationship that was the most important in the world to I don't ever want to see this person on the planet again. Right. That's one of the crazy dynamics of
1: (laughs) of divorce, right?
0: Yeah. And, And for me, when I first did mediation, one of my goals was that I want to see marriages dissolved on the other side and see people still have a friendship, have a potential relate a relationship maybe not even a friendship but it's possible to live on the planet without the hate and the anger and the the total disregard for the rest of their duties right and so so the first job in mediation is to to say all right we gotta stop (laughs) and look at what is it that you want for the future right not the revenge and justice for all of this past stuff but what is it that you want Moving forward, and I think the same thing applies in entrepreneurship and business. Yes. I, I deal with clients that have said, "I can have this terrible relationship with my dad, and it's broken, and I, you know, we hate each other, but that's not going to impact my business, right?" And I, and, and and I'm like, "Well, I'm not the right coach for you because, right? If we're going to work together, you need to fix these relationships because it's going to free your mind, it's going to free your brain to do such great things." And yep. forgiveness is such a huge part of that process. But so many people are just caught up in the past so solid that designing a plan, having a vision for the future and being able to see, well, how do we transition the kids? How do we how do we help the kids to you know, have a future relationship when this is the example we've just given them right?
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> and helping people change their their focus a little bit so that that they start to think outside of of what's in it for me.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, I've gotten, um, I used to be a little more soft around the edges when I started doing (laughs) this 20 years ago, but after seeing the level of animosity and the damage that's happening to these kids, I literally will look at people and I'll say, is it you or is it you who's not going to be invited to their wedding? And they'll go, what? (laughs) And I'll say your behavior right now is setting the stage for that and if you think i'm kidding i'll come find you in 20 years or 15 years and i'll find out have you seen the grandkids yet did you get to go to the wedding people don't think that far down the road and it's again kids are little sponges right they internalize all this stuff and even though they don't think the kids are picking up on the tension or the parents fighting i said they know even little young kids you know, younger children see all these things and they take it in. They don't know what to do with it, but they take it all in. So I, I tell people, I said, you know, this has got to change. If you don't change it, you are harming your children. I don't well, know how to say it. <laughs>
0: and, and the, and the sad thing is no matter what the court's going to make a decision for you, do exactly. you, want, do you want control in the decision or do, it, or do yeah. you want to just let, do you want to just let the judge go? And the judge is busy, right? The judge right. isn't, the judge isn't going to read this pile of papers you stick in there. That's right. The judge doesn't give a rip. He's going to look at the bottom line and he's going to say <laughs> this and this and ordered. That's right. And because he they don't have time. That's There's right. a reason they hire mediators. There's a reason that it, and that's this is your last chance to control your own outcomes. Yes.
1: Yeah. I tell people you have the power right now. I'm not making decisions for you. You guys are, you know, I can guide you. I can share some stories of what's worked, what hasn't worked, but it's all, the other thing is I look at it. It's very individualized, you know, and sometimes the attorneys, again, I'm not bad mouthing attorneys. I have some amazing attorneys that I work with, but you know, Oh, your child's nine. Here's what the parenting plan should look like. But you know, it's, it's not quite that easy so it's, you know, tell me about your child. You know, what, what is your nine-year-old like? What can your nine-year-old handle? Can they handle a halftime split? That's kind of young, but some kids can do it. You know, what's your work schedule? What activities are your children in? Like, there's so many variables. You have to talk about all those things. And then people think they're building this gold star parenting plan, and I'll say, guess what? It's going to change. So we just need a plan for now. Let's figure out now. And, you know, maybe the next six months or the next year. And then guess what? We look at it again. It's okay. <laughs> you well, know?
0: And that's the bigger challenge. Cause when the court decides, then they want to go back and look at it again, then they got to get the lawyers involved yes. Then they got to throw more money at the problem. Yeah. And, and then it, of course that creates more resentment that yes. creates more <laughs> frustration Rather than saying, you know what we can both be adults in this yes and and figure out how to do this and let go of the anger and resentment and stuff because you have no control over it anyway. Change the story you're telling yourself That's right about That's your marriage, right. change the story you're telling yourself about your your former partner and and find a way to, to focus on the positives to focus on what matters moving forward and, and I think the same thing has to happen for for business people. Absolutely. Right. You've got to let go of judgment and resentment, yes. the desire for for revenge. And and you've got to you've got to have a vision for your future that that guides your decision making and guides the story that you, you that you tell yourself. Yes. right. What are the things that you learn from this? What are what are the ways? Obviously, you're going to do partnerships differently, <laughs> hopefully. <Yes. laughs> or or you're just going to continue the broken cycle of bad relationships and not have any growth. And, and that doesn't help anybody. That, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, that's right. And I think, you know, it's interesting because leadership is about people and, you know, just obviously parenting, it's about the kiddos and about them. Leadership is about people. And it, like, it really is like, that's the bottom line. And you know, I can think of one of my coaching clients. I love working with him and he's so naturally good with the people part. Like he just has that personality. He's so good at it. And he's, he's got some business partners and one is not at all. Like he is a black and white guy. And I'm like, you're not going to change that partner at all, but you're the guy, you're the guy that's going to have the one-on-ones with, the, with everybody on the teams. You're the one that's going to be there for them when, when things fall apart, they're going to come to you. And he'll, you know, he'll say time and time again in our sessions, oh, this is like the hardest job I've ever had. <laughs> Leading a company like this is really difficult. And he said, I had no idea it was this hard, but I'm always challenging him around, you know, well, how are you responding to that? Or you have to have a difficult conversation. You have one employee that's just the thorn in everybody's side. How do you deal with that? Well, again, how do you deal with conflict? How are you with uncomfortable conversations? Let's talk about that first, because we need to have an understanding of where you're coming from. And what triggers you so that you're avoiding these conversations or not sure what to say so that you feel more confident when you do have to confront somebody that's, you know, the thorn in everybody's side. And you're going to have to deal with that as the leader. People are looking to you to do that. And so you have to figure out, oh, my gosh, how do I do this? What does it look like? How does it feel? You know, and what am I going to do? And, you know, this particular client, he did have a thorn in his side. And it was at the point where this gentleman was going to retire soon anyway, but it was just a matter of getting him out the door and the guy just really didn't want to leave. And so so it was a really hard conversation because he was instrumental in this business and had been there for decades. And so it was like, how do we, how do we have this conversation with him? And I said, you know, it's so important to make sure you're recognizing all the amazing things he did. It's so easy to point a finger and say, You know, you didn't do this and you're always doing that. You're never calling clients back or all these things. You can point fingers. But this guy also needs that those kudos, you know, and that building up. That's so important. And sometimes we forget that piece, you know, like to really appreciate and give those kudos to people and recognize when people are working hard, you know, putting in the effort, you're doing the long hours and, you know, you may not have it figured out yet, but that's okay. You're still working on it. I'm here if you need me, you know, whatever you need to get the job done. And so, you know, that's so important as a leader to really look at, like, how do I build how do I build things up for others and, you know, still be able to maintain my confidence and my abilities as a leader?
0: We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner, Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson, available on Amazon. Or you can order a personalized signed copy at Empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, 2Dream.com. That's Empower, number 2, Dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Well, and then and then that applies to leadership of self too yes. it's it's always easy to beat ourselves up over the the things we do wrong right we yes. and and it's the same as a parent right i yes. think i you know i uh, you know i've seen families where where there's no emotional capital right yes. the kids only experience yep. negative input right they're they're doing poorly in school they get they get you know put down by their mom and put down by the people around them and and there's no and so so when a parent yells at them or a teacher says something to them they have no they have no emotional bank to yes. give to that and so that's what leading to depression and and lack of hope whereas kids that have been told you're doing a great job i love you um you know you're, you're amazing it's so fun to be around you and all of these emotional deposits you know the one one of the things that i did do right was was our goal was to make home a safe space like yes. we wanted to make so if our kids had trouble, the world was was hard, the things were happening, that, that home would be a safe space, that they could talk about anything and we would not break them. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. You know, instead of instead of, oh my dad's gonna kill me, it's oh no, I gotta go talk to my dad, right? When when those bad things happen. And and I didn't always do it right. Like you know, your kids tell you they did something, and you're like, "Holy what the!"
1: I know, right? You did <laughs> and, what?
0: <laughs> and you, you, your first reaction is, "What the blazes?" And and then I am able to stop and say, "No, wait. I'm sorry. We got you. Let's. We're gonna go through this together." Um, but even in those moments, I had enough emotional capital built up with my kids that I could, I could lose some, <laughs> I could waste it, and. And my kids still know that I love them. My kids are still going to invite me to their wedding and, and I get to see my grandkids. And, then, yeah. and that was always my wife's and I goal. I, I want to be a great parent so that my kids still love me when they're adults. Yeah. That doesn't mean I'm a great friend until my kids are adults.
1: That's right. That's <laughs> and there's, right.
0: A, and there is a big difference. Yeah. Our kids needed those boundaries. They needed the guidance they needed. But more than anything, they needed love and belief. Yeah. And if you plant enough love and belief along the way, you can make mistakes. That's and you've right. got the emotional capital in there to absorb those mistakes. And, and the kids know that, oh, dad messed up there. That was bad. I didn't like that. But they're never going to say, dad hates me. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, dad messed up there. It, it it's okay. I forgive him. Right. And I, and I think so often there's just so, so poor people don't recognize the power of emotional capital.
1: Well, and you know, it's so interesting because I think with all my work with kids, I learned this years ago is we don't always have the vocabulary for emotions. And so when I teach around empathy and emotional intelligence, I love working with kids because that's, they're, again, they're sponges. And so they Take all that stuff in. So it's a matter of how are you feeling, and then how do you express that? How do you talk about it? And so it's that emotional vocabulary. So I see that missing a lot in adults. They kind of they missed the memo on that. They stood in the wrong line, and they, well, they we're
0: we're told all the time you don't men don't cry, don't get it. Just, that you don't get angry. So all right. these emotions you're not supposed to experience, and so so many people bottle them down, yes. stuff them inside, and then they become they become overweight. They become living in anxiety and stress. And, and I talk about all the time that people are living in anxiety and stress. Their brain is in fight, flight, and freeze mode, dumping adrenaline into their body constantly instead of, instead of once every so often, like it's supposed to do. And so their body's not experiencing the the dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, and endorphins. It's supposed to experience in joy and love and happiness. And, And no wonder we're, we're, you know, have an epidemic of, you know, antidepressive medicines and all of these things, because people are in this level of anxiety and stress, the, the human body wasn't designed for, right? The brain is acting like there's a lion outside every single door.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and when people realize that, wait, there's not a lion outside every single door, and your body cannot be in anxiety and stress 99% of the time. Instead, you get it that stress level of fight, flight and freeze that 1% like it's designed for. And then it's protecting you. But the other side is you get all those great chemicals the brain's designed to give us. And you feel good. And you experience good. And part of that is learning to experience our emotions fully, right? That's right. Anger. Okay. Oh, for me, I just try to help people see that emotions are, are your dashboard, right? It's like your check yeah. engine light. It's a little warning. It's, you know, the anger a, anger's a yeah. is a sign of something going on. Sadness is a sign of something going on. Right? and and if you know what those things going on are they're warning signs from your body saying hey pay attention you know right. hey pay attention something's important over here instead of bottling them up we can go oh okay I was upset about that why was I upset about that okay well now I can let it go because I know I put a label on it right I'm aware of it I and I think you're right we don't teach we don't teach emotional awareness and so Kids become adults and adults teach kids, and we create these generational cycles of emotionless people.
1: That's right. And you know, the other thing with working with leaders, too, people still have the concept that there shouldn't be emotions at work.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> that one makes how, me crazy. How,
0: how can you not have emotions at <laughs> right. work?
1: Right. How They're do you not se- robots? How do you separate the emotions from the person? Well, you can. And so that that's always a challenge for a lot of leaders is, uh, again, like somebody gets in a tiff over here. And if you're uncomfortable with that kind of conflict, are you running the other way? Is it like, oh, you guys got this, you figure it out because it's so uncomfortable for them. They don't know how to deal with it. And the reality is, you know, something happens in the morning before you even get to work. And what happens? You bring that with you, right? That you're, you know, something happened with the, your dog is sick. And so you're like worried like crazy, you know, oh my gosh, maybe I should have run the dog to the vet or I'm I'm going to have to run home at lunch. Like, so your, your mind is somewhere else. Your emotions are all churned up and that walks in the door with you at work. It's just there with you. And so that's a big one. We still, I still find people that think like, well, you really shouldn't have emotions at work. How do you well, and, and see the <laughs> challenge is the story
0: you're telling yourself. First of all, right. When you're bringing that stuff to work, I talk about the flat tire all the time, right? You get the flat tire on the way to work. And for a good portion of people, that flat tire wrecks today. It wrecks tomorrow. And it becomes a part of every conversation through the day. Oh, man, I had a flat tire today. Gosh, you just. And and that's the kind of day they're having. That's the week they're going to have now because they've allowed this flat tire to impact everything. Whereas a person who has awareness understands the flat tire is just a thing. It's Wonder. not, it's not good or bad. It's just a thing. In fact, yep. you know what? There was an accident up ahead. And so the flat tire actually saved me from either being in that accident or being stuck behind it. Right. And so I change the tire. I get to work. Hey, everything's great. My car's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. I controlled the things I can control and I let go of the things I can't control. Right. And, and I don't let those things, you know, wrap around in my head. One of the great examples I give to couples are, you know they're both out on the driveway. She grabs the newspaper, but she doesn't kiss him goodbye. And oh. He drives out of the driveway thinking she's mad at me. Right. And he spends his entire eight-hour day at work. I just can't figure out why she's mad at me. What? What on earth is going on? What? What? It, you know. And he starts to think through all the things that he could have possibly done that that she's mad at him. And of course, she was outside. She picked up the newspaper and saw that he was in a rush and just let him go and walked back into the house. And she spent her whole day just doing her thing, not thinking another thought about it, but because he never asks. That's right. He's created this entire scenario in his head. And so what happens when he walks back in the door eight hours later? He's defensive. He's irritated. And he's like, I can't believe you're mad at me. And she goes, what? And immediately gets defensive, puts up a wall, and they've created a fight. Yes. Over, over only the things that are playing around in their head, because we don't communicate and we don't we don't have an awareness of. Yep. Oh wait, I'm just assumed all of these things.
1: That's right. So <laughs> I've
0: just created this story in my head, and I could diffuse it by simply asking, "Hey, honey, what what happened on the driveway?" And That's she's right. Like what? What? But we, don't, but we don't ask, right? And we, and we create right. these situations, but that's the power of our mind. Our mind creates our reality and we act out our reality that we create. And so the story you tell yourself is so important. And yeah. so often in relationships, people automatically make the negative assumption. They automatically apply the negative to their partner. Oh, they're mad at me. Oh, they're this. Oh, that, you know, and, and the partner is not even in the same space. Right. And, and I think so often... We we haven't learned that emotional yep. intelligence, and we haven't learned the communication regarding it, right? And we we this becomes his reality, and and you have to understand the power of your creative story. And if you don't like that creative story, find the way to change it, right?
1: That's right. A simple
0: phone call, hey honey. Well, of course now it's a text message. Hey honey, what happened in the driveway? And she's like, what driveway?
1: Right, yeah. I don't don't know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah. And so let's, yeah, let's just chat about that
1: story and
0: how we can control our, you know, what we can control.
1: Well, and that, yeah, I mean, the thing that was rolling through my brain as you were talking about that is asking the questions. And so I I think of a great example of this gal who was an executive director. I was running a, a class. I think it was a team building class. And she was talking about, getting some gift for her employees like i want to give them something so she's like i got these really cool like bags like tote bag kind of things and i just i love them it's so cute and oh my gosh everyone's gonna love it she says and so then i said well how how did it go what did did well not everybody really liked it they were kind of like oh thanks you know and so i looked at her and i said did you ask them what they would like And she said what and i said did you ask what maybe they would have liked as an incentive or a little gift or something and she goes no but these bags were really cool and i said right but that was what you liked but you're trying to do something for your whole team so having the conversation and asking the questions like hey guys you know i want to do something fun for everybody do you want an experience do you want a gift card for something like what would be you know what would be fun for you guys and she said I never even thought to ask. I just assumed that.
0: <laughs> well, I, how often do we do that in the relationships that matter? All
1: the time. <laughs> yes. We don't ask the question. And a lot of that, I think, goes back to one, maybe we don't think about it, right? Because we're so focused on, oh, I like the bag. Why won't everybody else like the bag? But we don't even really do these things sometimes from fear, right? Sometimes or the we more, ask the tough questions.
0: Or the more dangerous one is, I'm supposed to know.
1: I'm supposed to know. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You didn't get that memo either.
0: (laughs) I'm supposed to know what she likes or what she wants. And then, and then the spouse makes that assumption. Well, he should know what I like or or don't like. And then he brings home this stupid tote bag. He doesn't know me at all.
1: Right. Like why would I want that?
0: (laughs) And neither one of them are communicating about what it is that they really want or, and it really does boil down to, to being willing to ask questions. And of course, being willing to listen to the answers and be okay. You know, hey, I'd lo- I love these these tote bags. Do you think they're cute? I mean, everybody's like, oh, no, those are terrible yeah, like and, and person- you got to be okay. You got to be okay. Like, oh, I thought they were so cute, right? right.
1: That's right. Yeah. You could still think they're really cute for you. It doesn't matter that everybody else doesn't like them. That's right. And that's, you know, so with with leaders, the thing that I work with around too is you got to know your people. Again, leadership is people. And so, you know, I, I do a class I've, I've done for years too on performance management. And what is that like a, a performance management plan, your annual review? Why are we doing these once a year? And there's a lot of companies out there that are still doing these once a year. Well, you know what? A lot happens in 365 days. Isn't that a surprise? <laughs> so why are you not doing one-on-ones with your people? And and so it's interesting. Um, uh, one of the leaders I was working with recently too said, You know, I'm doing the one on ones, but oh, my gosh, it's a lot of work. And I said, okay, let's reframe that. Is it work? Is that the word that you want to use? Like, isn't this like the most one of the most important things is getting to know your people so that you know what they need, how you can support them, what what would help them do their jobs better, what they're really good at, all of that stuff. You're going to find that out in one on one. So isn't that awesome? Like, is it work? You know, and he goes. Oh, yeah, that's I probably shouldn't say that. I said, if you spend most of your day doing one on ones, that has big value and it's long lasting value. You know, you may think it's like all this time I'm spending. But now after doing that for this last year, this person, this leader is now going, this was the best thing I ever did was doing these one on ones, because he said so much has changed because I've done these.
0: Well, especially if you listen and you ask the right questions. Yes, yes. Like yes. if a person feels heard and a person yeah. feels like they have a voice.
1: Oh, my um, gosh.
0: That, that changes everything.
1: Yes. Yep. So and that's the thing. And, and as a leader, you know, you're, you're they, people put you on a pedestal. Sometimes it's hard not to, right? There's a hierarchy. Like you're the CEO of a, of a business. You're at the top. You are. So everyone expects you to have all the answers, to know all of the details of everything, that are happening to be able to make the right decisions all the time to never make mistakes people kind of assume that you're you're the leader and you know again it's that vulnerability like yeah i'm going to make mistakes too and you know fess up to that but to really you know to have that open door policy is to you know again have these one-on-one so that people do know that hey you're a you're a person just like me and you don't have all the answers and it's okay And so I think that's what this leader has realized is like, wow, it kind of took the pressure off me feeling like I do have to know everything because I I think people realize now it's like, you know, we're all kind of feeling our way through a lot of these things some days and that's okay. Building a business, you don't have all the answers. You don't know how to do everything. You don't have all the answers. Put the right people in place as best you can. Sometimes that doesn't work. You got to switch people out, right? I mean, there's, it's constant change but the one-on-ones are so valuable and just doing those regularly. It's amazing. The gold, you know, the nuggets that you get out of that, that you wouldn't normally get in a one once a year review.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about character and authenticity for a leader, the ability to, like you said, people put a leader up on a pedestal and, and have expectations. So how can a leader be authentic and, and, and be there, you know, be themselves and still satisfy this, this quote unquote position.
1: I, I think just like you mentioned already, it's communicating and being, being willing to admit, you know, Oh my gosh, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have chosen this product to roll out. Cause clearly that wasn't the best option or, or to say like, you know, we're going to try this. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but together as a team to make this thing work and we'll see what happens. And if it's not going to work, or it's not beneficial for our company, then we're going to change, we're going to make a change. So it's just, it's being real, right? It's just being um, willing to say, I'm going to try new things. I don't know all the answers. I, you know, I want us to work together as a team. It's how you communicate those messages. I think that's so important. And again, a lot of times that doesn't happen. Um, We just don't get, constant con- communication from leadership sometimes, or if we do, it's, um, oh, great. We, you know, John sent us a, oh, we got this, you know, <laughs> this mass letter from John, you know, like now what, you know, there <laughs> sometimes that can happen. Hopefully none of your people are thinking now what, cause that's not good. <laughs> so it's, I think that's just so important is to really just, you know, be out there and, and be, be present, you know, one, Position I worked at years ago, I was a director at a college, and the president of the college was never in his office because he was always out and about. And I loved that. It was so great because, you know, someone would say, like, oh, he's over in this department. Okay, great, I'll go find him. But he wasn't someone that just sat in his office on the phone, on calls, all of these things. He wasn't doing that. He was out there. So he knew all the department heads, he knew the faculty, he got to know a lot of the students. He was so immersed in the culture of the the school. It was fantastic. And I thought that is awesome leadership because people then felt comfortable to go up to him. Otherwise it's like, oh, I can't go to the president's office and talk to him. He's the president, you know? (laughs) So, but he made himself available and he made it. And that's, you know, again, just meeting, floating around, talking to your people. Don't sit in your office all day. You know, some leaders do that. They kind of shut the door and... (laughs) got stuff to do. And then, you know, no one knows if you're there or not there. Or they, were, do do?
0: they worked hard for that corner office to hide in. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. Yeah. So, let's,
0: know. so let's talk about connection and, and the value of connection, obviously recognizing the yeah. connection that that president was able to make in, yes. in creating relationships. Um, let's talk about, you know, how, how important is connection for, for people, for leaders?
1: Yeah connection is the base for our life. I mean, it's just, it's what we all need as people. We need one another. (laughs) And so that's kind of where it starts, right? I mean, that's just the element of being human is you have to connect with others. You know, we do better when we've got support. Look at the last couple of years was challenging because we couldn't physically be with people. And, you know, looking back, it's, you know, I'm still working with leaders around what happened the last couple of years because they felt like they lost connection with their people because they weren't able to physically see them. And they may not have taken steps to create this connection in other ways. So I think there were some I always talk about leadership hits and leadership misses. (laughs) So there were some definitely some leadership misses that happened. Um, You know, I teach online and I've been doing that for so long that. I pride myself on building an online community. I never see my students other than, you know, the first week I'll do Zoom calls. So they can see me, I see them. And then it's constant communication. I reach out, we do phone calls. I mean, I'll talk to students all throughout the semester if they're struggling. It's so important. It's those touch points. And it's kind of frequent, regular contact. And I think that's so important. We've got to remember that. We need one another and You know, I think once we lose that sense of needing one another, then all downhill from there.
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, sometimes we forget that humans were created to serve humans.
1: That's right. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. We need one another. It's it's kind of the basic level of, you know, who we are as people.
0: We're going to jump back to the kids and. And and the value that we can, lessons we can learn from, from kids. How important is play and fun?
1: Ah, for all of us, huge. (laughs) All you have to do, like watch your animals. You know, we can learn a lot from our dogs or cats or whatever animals they play, they interact, they socialize, they let things go. They don't hold grudges, (laughs) right? We can learn a lot from animals.
0: I, 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 I'll, I'll just throw this. My favorite marriage example out is, is the, the power to be like your dog. And I talked about stick your wife and your dog in the trunk of the car yeah. and drive, them, <laughs> drive to the park. And when you open the trunk, you'll know which one's happy to see Who's you.
1: happy to see you, right? As the dog's like, you're here, you let me out, let's go play. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, we can learn a lot from kids too. Kids, And I, that's why I love working with kids because they're playful naturally and they're creative naturally. And then as we get older, sometimes we're told that's not okay. Like, you know, why are you doing that?
0: Act your age.
1: Act your age, right? Messages like that. And so infusing play and creativity, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do the last couple of years, I did several talks on creativity and leadership in 2020 when things shut down. And um, one of my favorite stories that I read about, I always, I sought these out, like who's being creative in this whole pandemic thing. There was a couple up in, I think they're in Denver And they started Pandemic Donuts. And they were both, they both had like a cooking, baking background, I think. And they, like everybody else, like, oh my gosh, now what are we going to do? Because the places where we worked were closed down. They created Pandemic Donuts. And I thought, brilliant. Like, that is awesome. That thinking outside of the box. And kids are really good at that. You know, kids will try things. And they're not, you know, like the blocks fell over. Okay, I'm just going to rebuild them. I'll do it a different way. And so we, again, lose that, I think, as we get older, because we're afraid that the blocks are going to fall in. Oh, my gosh, what if the blocks fall over? People are going to think I don't know what I'm doing. You know, I'm, I'm an imposter, that whole imposter syndrome. And kids have that. And so it's almost like really think about how you were as a kid, you know, jumping and playing on the swing set, you know, running around the yard, playing on your bike, all of these things that are so important. And that's really still who we are but we've we've lost it
0: yeah i'm a huge advocate of of being like children and finding those ways to be like children and for me it's it's not letting not the the word impossible is is the word that adults just destroy so many of those things right like yes that's impossible that won't work right and for me it's like oh no we got to keep undoing that right we need as adults especially we need to tap into our imagination and tap into our creativity and 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 adults get this idea that that oh i'm not a creative right i don't write poems i don't sing songs and i don't paint pictures right and yet <laughs> you are a co-creator on this planet that that has been given co-creation powers by the source and and you should tap into that yes <laughs> And, yeah. and use it in some way, right? I mean, we create meals, right? We we create food, we create letters, we create emails. Those are all creative tasks as well. And so, when you can tap into that imagination, and then of course possibility combined with curiosity, whew, all these things that that kids just do naturally—that that's right. that somehow we eliminate in in adulthood—I um, I think, yeah, we need we need more classes for leaders and for adults that just, you know, we're going to teach you how to be a kid again.
1: Oh my gosh. It's so true. I think, you know, again, we just, we really, we have this in us and it's somewhere along the way it's, we get these messages like that's not okay. What are you thinking? You know, you made a mistake. Oh my gosh. You know, well, I always tell people, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know one person on this planet that hasn't made mistakes. Well, it's kind of
0: the process.
1: Can you raise your hand if you've never made a mistake? Like no hands go up, right? It's so important to know that it's all right. And, you know, some of the research I did for my dissertation was around uh, growth, fixed and growth mindset, Carol Dweck's work. And she always, you know, her phrase is, I don't know how to do this yet. And you add the word yet. And so leaders really need a growth mindset because, hey, if you don't know something as a leader, then learn it, try it. You know, t- take it for a ride, see how it fits. You know, <laughs> you've got to get out there and do it. And if it doesn't work this way, then try that way. You know, and and if it doesn't work either way, then maybe that's just not your thing. Maybe there's something else over here that you haven't even thought about yet. You know, so it's a lot of brainstorming and throwing well, spaghetti at the wall.
0: <laughs> and the challenge is companies want to say nice things like, oh, this is a safe space to fail. Yes. Right. The yeah. well, problem is for the leader, he knows everybody's looking at him. I and know. everybody's watching yep. and and if this thing doesn't work then then it's going to rest on him and and they're going to tell the stockholders and they're going to tell the yeah. they're going to tell the people that that matter rather than creating a safe space yes. where where it is safe to fail and it is safe to to try something yes you know and coming back as a company and saying okay man that was a great effort what did we learn
1: you That's know how great. can we
0: use this how can we maximize this you know, it, and and you can tell the difference between companies that have that environment and companies that don't, right? All mm-hmm. of us look at at Elon Musk's rocket and it goes 20, 10 feet off the ground and goes boom, yeah. And and everybody goes, <gasps> yeah. And Elon goes, woohoo, yeah. It and got ten I, feet. <laughs> I learned one more way that it didn't work exactly. And how much data did we extract from that? So we try again. That's right. And 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 that's the important piece, right? So many other people are looking at, oh, how much money that costs. And and Elon's looking at how much did we learn? That's right. And I think that's the kind of rare air <laughs> where creativity is spawned and, and great things can happen. I mean, obviously, all of us live in the greatest country in the world with the greatest innovation. And it's because of people that have been willing to create safe spaces for that creativity. Wow. And there's a lot of areas where that creativity is being squished and squashed and employees feel like robots, like you mentioned earlier. Employees are supposed to go into work and turn their emotions off. And then they even turn off. The problem when you turn emotions off is you turn off the good ones with the bad ones. That's right. They come as a package. That's right. (laughs) But if you're a really smart company is you do all you can to eliminate the bad ones so that the employees are functioning in the good ones and everybody's having fantastic days. And guess what happens to their productivity? Yes. Yep. 10 and 20 X is it because your people are having a blast and they're enjoying their work. They're enjoying the relationships they're creating and they're not feeling like, you know, I'm a robot and I hate my job. And, and, and obviously we've got a, a lot of people, you know, there's a great resignation happening and it's not just because of COVID it's because companies aren't taking care of employees. That's right. You know, CEOs are getting golden parachutes and the employees are saying, where's mine. Yes. (laughs) Well,
1: and you know, that brings up another interesting topic too, is just the whole, your company culture. (laughs) Right. And, And that's around having a discussion, you know, I'll say to leaders, do you talk to, you know, when you're having a team meeting or something, talk about what do we want this business to look like? You know, where do we see ourselves going together into the future? And what do we want it to look like? You know, who are we as a company? And, you know, are we the company that's known for, you know, everyone takes, you know, a good solid lunch break. So you can go ride your bike or go ski some runs or, you know, I mean, we live in Colorado where it's amazing out. Go for a run or a hike at lunchtime. Get out of the office. You know, are we a culture that says, that's okay because you're going to be better. It's the whole, let my people go surfing Yvonne Chenard's book. Hey, if the surf is up, you better be out there because you're going to be a better employee when you walk back in the door. And so it's, you know, what is the culture that you're creating? And as a leader, get those discussions going, talk about it all together. You know, well, how do we want meetings to look, you know, are we, Over meeting, you know, do we have too many meetings going on? Well, then let's fix that.
0: If you're asking the question, it's probably true.
1: Right? Exactly. (laughs) Yes. But that's, you know, as, as groups and teams have those discussions, again, ask the questions, you know, what would be helpful? How can I support you? What's missing, you know, what would, what would feel better? Um, Again, incentives, you know, what kind of incentives would be cool? You know, did you guys want a gift card? Do you want a bag? Do you want, you know, (laughs) and that that helps create this culture that's amazing. You know, I, I work with companies where all the employees are just on cloud nine. They love working at these companies because of the culture that the leadership has put into place. And people know like, hey, this is like the coolest job ever. I love this. And I feel heard, like to your point earlier, I feel like I'm heard. I feel like I can put a suggestion in the suggestion box and someone actually reads it and does something with it. Oh my gosh, you know?
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know, people of value value people. And, yes. and when you take care of your employees, that way guess what your employees are doing with your customers.
1: That's right, that's right. It trickles everywhere and out in the public, yeah. how they speak about the company, right? Like, oh my gosh, I love my job. I love my boss, I love my team. You know, and that gets around, you know, with Absolutely. social media nowadays, you don't want to mess up because everybody will know when. <laughs> well, it, it, is,
0: it, it really boils down to how you handle the mess up, though.
1: That's right. Because that's you right. are going
0: to mess up. You that's that, mess that's up. the point. Yeah, you are going to mess up. Yeah. And so how you handle the mess up is really what where your character truly shows. That's right. And, and I think that's you know true in in all relationships and, and in business. You know, how, how are you showing up? And, and how are you going to handle those mess ups that that's really where your character comes through and the company's character comes through. And, and that's where you're going to make the biggest impact. Hello. Dr. Barb, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a great conversation and uh, we went places I had no idea we were going to go, but I think a lot of value was shared and I appreciate you taking the time.
1: Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate it.
0: If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at AddValueMindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. AddValueMindset.com. In our next episode, Nathan Cook. Nathan is an award-winning international coach, speaker, and expert trainer.